The gospel reading for tonight is from the book of Luke, chapter 12, verses 49 through 56. I came to bring fire to the earth, and how I wish it were already kindled. I have a baptism with which to be baptized, and what stress I am under until it is completed. Do you think that I have come to bring peace to the earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. From now on, five in one household will be divided. Three against two and two against three, they will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. He also said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you immediately say, it is going to rain, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, you know how to interpret the appearance of earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? The word of the Lord. Maybe you did actually have the impression that Jesus comes to bring peace. Maybe because he's called the Prince of Peace or because there's like a thousand places in scripture that say he came to bring peace. Maybe because it would be such a beautiful thing and we need it. Shalom, wholeness, well-being, restoration, loving relationship. Every week we say the invocation and then pass the peace that Christ has given us, right? Imagine shaking someone's hand and saying, division be with you. Scary. Maybe there'd be something interesting, if potentially hazardous, about passing the fire of Christ. We could try it sometime. But division? Can you imagine? Like, we need that. Peace is one of those words like love that points to something, some reality, some beautiful possibility that makes you aware of the insufficiency of the word. But I think it's like everything we long for, a profound sense of well-being in us and between us, the absence of anxiety, fear, stress, depression, an end of violence, internal and external, an end of hate? There's a reason you say peace and love together. They're intertwined. And Jesus says, do you think I came to bring peace? No. Well, that's disappointing. That drains some of the hope out of the whole thing we're trying to do here, doesn't it? Of course they think he came to bring peace. If you look at the whole of scripture, you might get the impression that is what God is about. God is described as peace, its creator, its source. So it doesn't seem like Jesus should be making anyone feel wrong or bad or crazy if their impression had been that he came to bring peace. He does mention that he's under stress here, so 
Maybe that accounts for his behavior here, which seems prickly. He's stressed out. He's going to die, and he knows it. He's human, which means he has adrenal glands that release stress hormones that causes blood vessels to constrict. This makes him irritable. He's not a machine. He has emotions. And so maybe we could just ignore this outburst. Like, chalk it up to the sorts of things people say and don't really mean when their blood vessels constrict and their cortisol levels spike. I came to bring fire to the earth and how I wish it were already kindled. Peace. No. Division. I mean, he's like a different person than he was two paragraphs earlier when he was saying, don't be anxious, little flock. But far from letting it pass, as one utterance among many, one that has some discrepancies with many other utterances, it seems to me that the church has often actually elevated this one, fixated on it a bit. Like, never mind the loads of places that talk about peace in the Bible, the overarching sense of this loving and uniting God, people have often been preoccupied with the fire and the division. Like, there's something in us that thrives on this vision somehow. Well, not thrives. I wouldn't call it thrives like flourish. We don't flourish on it. It eats away at our capacity to love and feel compassion, our wholeness. But I think we're often energized by division. Like, the church has read this passage, and it's like, Oh, well, Jesus brings the fire and the division. I guess that means Jesus divides the baddies from the goodies, and we're imperfect, of course, but generally on the right side of the moral or ethical or aesthetic or theological issues. It's Jesus. He says it right here that divides us from them. We can't help it if we're on the right side. And if my righteousness causes some tension at the family reunion, so be it. I mean, I'm not going to pretend to like Franklin Graham to make my uncle happy. There are some clear divides. We may long for peace, but we can pretty readily get on board with the division. It makes sense. I mean, you have Gandhi and St. Teresa, and then you have Duterte and other horrible leaders. Of course there's division. And there's something about these divisions that fuels us, I think. But I mean, there are reasons to believe if you've been paying attention to scripture and hope and to desire that Jesus brings some profoundly creative capacity for reconciliation, peace, some merciful unity, some unifying forgiveness. And we need it. Something to stop us hating each other and killing each other and destroying the earth with our conflagrations. Fire and division, I mean, we're okay on the fire. Unprecedented heat, wild infernos, metaphorically and literally wreaking havoc all over the world. Division, thanks, but we've got more division than we can handle. Division is rampant these days. Our country's tearing apart at the seams. We're barely hanging together by a thread. What we need, it seems to me, is peace. So I wasn't happy when I saw that this was the text for today. It just 
sat there staring at it like, you're kidding me. Gross. I don't want to preach on that passage. I don't think that's what we need to hear. We are so super set on the division. I mean, I see someone's bumper sticker, and I'm flooded with presumptions and animosity. I think we're pretty riled up against each other. I mean, not here at the House of Mercy, of course, but, you know, against those people who are doing terrible things. I think fire only sounds like good news if you construe it as burning what you don't like, what you think is bad. And division sounds like good news if it means the good will be divided from the bad. But if you look throughout history, it seems pretty clear that humans can't really be trusted with those delineations. The beautiful revolutionaries end up being oppressors. The reformers end up burning heretics. But so maybe that's the thing. It isn't about us, about what we do. The fire isn't ours to pass along or the divisions for us to decide. It's God that kindles the refiner's fire. And I kind of think there's no question that all of us will experience the heat of those purifying flames. It's not just going to be them, them Trump-loving fascists or them commie liberals. The fire is probably not only burning away things we think are wrong. It'll probably be burning any vestiges of self-righteousness, judginess, superiority that is clinging to our backs. And I'm guessing that might actually hurt a bit. As much as I think we do long for peace, there's actually something about division that we like. I know it, because we're constantly doing it, deriving our identity by defining ourselves over against the bad or the uncool or the not smart, the unenlightened, and taking some satisfaction that we might or might not be obnoxious about it in how we're not like them. The way people have often read this passage, it's like, if you believe in the gospel or follow Christ, or if you're striving to be righteous, however you define it, and there are many conflicting ways to define it, if you're following the truth, this will put you in conflict with the people following lies, maybe people in your own family. And that division is just the price you pay for being so right. If you walk in the way of Christ, whether you're big on calling it Christ or not, you will be in conflict with the evil, whether you use the word evil or not, forces in the world. This might be sad from time to time, but it also makes us feel good. Because we know, though, of course, we're imperfect and we have many faults and we know we're broken, but we're on the right side somehow. We may need peace, but we're actually more comfortable when it comes down to it with division. In a way, what division does is unite us, actually. 
It helps us form groups according to belief systems or ideologies or political points of views. There's definitely a sort of peace that we feel when we are united with our tribe, which is special and different. And we know its specialness and differenceness because it's unlike the other tribes. Maybe you could call it demographics, but it's also true that we create peace by making scapegoats. If you decide that the immigrants are the problem, you can form a group united in their animosity toward immigrants. If you didn't have the immigrants to be united against, the group might not be very cohesive. On the other hand, you can form a community united against the people who have animosity toward immigrants. Being against something unites people. When we started this church 24 years ago, we sometimes talked about it as forming a community of people who had been hurt by the church somehow. And having this sort of difficulty with the institutional church in common united us. I mean, this is how human bonding works a lot of the time. I mean, say Jim, my husband, and I are experiencing some tension in our relationship because of some really important thing like what shelf in the pantry the rice should go on. We can get over it pretty quickly by starting to laugh about something stupid the neighbors did. If we aren't getting along, we can fix it by talking about other things other people do that bug us. It works like a charm. Kids in junior high, sometimes it seems like they don't even know how to be friends unless it's on the basis of excluding someone else for arbitrary reasons, like they have bangs or they wear the wrong jeans or what music they listen to. And actually, it's not just kids in junior high. It makes people feel closer when they make fun of people together, other people. Sometimes this way of making bonds seems barely destructive at all. It's just little old me and Jim. Sometimes it seems horrible and violent and endlessly destructive, like white supremacy. Someone like Rene Girard could show how this way of forming human community is the story that's formed every civilization from the beginning of time. This mechanism we have as humans it's not just this little thing that pops up now and again. It's more like the basis out of which we create social order. It's like an anthropological fact. We construct our communities, our unities, over against someone or some other group or some other country. We construct our identities over against some other person or philosophy or some other way of being. It's almost like we can't get out of doing this, like we're stuck, like we don't know how else to be in the world, how else to make community or be united, unless it's over against someone or some group or some way of being. We don't know how to feel good about ourselves unless we define our goodness over against someone else's badness. 
Maybe this is inevitable, but it isn't harmless. It is always destructive of something. Love, compassion, it hurts people. Scapegoating helps us feel a sort of peace, but it's not real peace, a peace that makes the world flourish. So maybe this text is what we need to hear. When Jesus says he doesn't come to bring peace, maybe it is that kind of peace that he doesn't come to bring. Jesus comes to take away this ancient, reliable, seemingly indestructible way of making peace that makes no peace. I mean, the story of Jesus, the story of God becoming incarnate in the world to die, really is a different story. It isn't actually a martyr story. Jesus doesn't die for a cause to condemn people who are not for that cause. Die to unite his followers against the bad people. Jesus could have unified the crowd so easily against the religious leaders, against the Romans, united the poor and the weak against the powerful, united his followers against the faithless. But this isn't really that story. Jesus really doesn't do that. It's not the story of God unifying the good people against the bad people. It's the story of all the people, the strong and the weak and the good and the bad, the religious and the non-religious, the government and the soldiers, all the people, in the end, at Jesus' death, unify against Jesus, the incarnation of God in the world. The gospel writers take pains to make that clear. The most unlikely of allies unify against Christ. All conspire at some level in the crucifixion of Jesus, even the disciples. But it isn't so Jesus can make some point about how bad everyone is. It's so he can show them mercy, what mercy is. Show them the depth and the breadth and the thoroughness of God's love and mercy. The point was to break by means of all this mercy, this mechanism that keeps us forming our identities over against other people, making community by being over against, to show us that God comes against no one, no one at all. God really isn't against anyone, doesn't come against anyone, but comes for us, for us all to scoop us up out of the death-dealing, death-making, hate-creating, repetitious monotony of that scapegoating machine. Scoop us out of that and put us into the love of God. Jesus comes for us, for us thoroughly and completely for all of us. Like God actually, really, thoroughly, 
loves the world, likes it, and desires to be with it, even all those parts of it that deeply offend us. God comes not out of a need to condemn anyone, but to free us from our condemnation, our self-righteousness, our false peace, the peace we find in identities formed against other, vulnerable, broken, confused, mistaken, even greedy, sinning humans with whom we actually have a great deal in common. Jesus challenges the peace we create by scapegoating. And that very well may destabilize the peace we find in our in-groups. Taking away that old way of keeping peace can bring more division in our families, like our chosen families, the people we're generally united with. It's unsettling if we can't unify by defining ourselves against others. How do we unify if we don't do that? It might be harder for your in-group to get along if we can't unite against the baddies or the uncool or the capitalist pigs or the fascists or the liberals or whoever whoever you ideologically oppose. How will we form community without that? When Jesus burns away our self-righteousness, divides us from the energy we get from division, from scapegoating, what will we do? How will we define ourselves if not over against some other, the unrighteous. I don't know exactly. But it will be beautiful and generative and life-giving, far more creative and kind and generous. Maybe if we can get a taste of the peace that Christ offers we can be the mercy.